a ratio marketing podcast. I, I think I find that the thing that I do, regardless of stage of company that I'm, you know, that I'm working with, is really just asking these really hard questions. I um, am always aware that uh, there's this perception, you know, like like the consultant flew in, you know, two thousand miles away, so suddenly they're an expert, right? You know, like, and most of the time, I'm sitting in the room and I'm thinking, I am sure that I'm not the only one who's either come in and given this same input, or there's even people sitting around this table who have either thought it or expressed it, but nobody took the time to really like push and push and push and say, no, what does it mean? What are we really saying? Are you sure our buyer really gets that? Oh yeah, yeah. ER docs. Oh, oh, an ER doc. They're not on Facebook. They barely know they hate email. And then you go into an emergency room and they're all standing there with phone in their hands. Have you ever wished you had a healthcare provider on speed dial? Someone you could call to validate your product market fit. Someone to listen and help you see your solution differently. Welcome to Healthcare Market Matrix, a podcast to help you see your market clearly. We dive deep into the challenges faced by healthcare organization leaders that technology has the chance to help them solve. It's all about gaining the kind of understanding you need to effectively connect with your market. Join us as we explore the healthcare market matrix. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Healthcare Market Matrix. I'm your host, John Farkas, and today we get the chance to talk with the Mark Donegan, and uh, otherwise known as my brother from another mother. Those of you watching the video will get that illusion. Um, <laughs> we showed up with same haircut, similar glasses, same headphones. I tell you what, it's just But, it's but your mic synergy. is different. Your That's right. Your mic is we, different. Different mic. <laughs> um, so Mark and I got to know each other several years ago when he was on our podcast at that point, And we were talking about the critical nature of KPI creation, communication, and alignment within organizations and what became apparent to me at that point is that here's a guy who understands the true nature of marketing and is passionate about aligning organizations to serve the real needs of the real market. And just so you know, um, as we laid, lead out here, you can find Mark at growthstage.marketing online. That's where his, his uh, digital universe resides. But what I, what I can tell you about Mark is that he's a consultant and or virtual CMO who's focused on the go-to-market program creation, specifically for early stage technology-related companies. And we, um, we spend a lot of time in our context here at Healthcare Market Matrix talking about the critical nature of creating marketing initiatives that jump up and down on the real value that technology affords um, and, and the importance of understanding and focusing on communicating clearly how you address the real problems your market is willing to spend time and money to solve. Um, so Mark, as you will see, shares that passion. And we're going to have some fun in the process today of exploring that. So, Mark, welcome to Healthcare Market Matrix. John, it's great to be back. You know, thank you for um, 
giving me an opportunity to talk again. We had such a good time uh, in our last interview, and I, I know we'll do it again. So. I expect we'll do it again. So yes. as we get started here, I'm going to hand you a virtual baton and let you okay. run with it for a minute. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So here's the baton. Um, marketing can't just be a little department in your company that maintains your website and does a few blogs and campaigns. Marketing in especially in a B2B organization, is business strategy. That's right. Okay, there's your baton. I've got it. On your mark, on your mark get set, go. I'm running. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, I can completely agree with that statement, John. And, uh, you know, let me um, explain why, you know, why that is. Is today the buyer's journey is uh, so fragmented uh, there are so many constituents that is, you know, individuals involved. And what's really frustrating, I remember the good old days where if you were an account executive, really your job was, was to get as close as possible, meaning, you know, know Go the- golfing. Yeah. Meaning, <laughs> meaning know the bottle of wine that the PO holder, uh, you know, <laughs> the exact brand and the vintage and all that they liked, know their favorite restaurant, know all the kids' names, you know, all of this. And for those of us who've been out in the market for a while, we can remember those days, right? Um, you know, it was about the Rolodex, Rolodex selling. And, um, and that's not to say that we didn't have to go demonstrate value. We didn't have to, you know, have a product that worked, a solution. I'm not suggesting that. But at the end of the day, there was a singular person that you basically had to convince. Yep. That is no longer the case. In fact, I like to say that as the buying committees have expanded, you still only have one person who can say yes the problem is you might have you six, eight, know. 10 or 12 <laughs> that can say no. And what is so astounding is I have been in multiple sales cycles. I mean, I wish I could say it's only happened once. I wish I could say it's never happened, but it's happened way <laughs> too many times where someone who was two, three, maybe even four, you know, steps removed from the decision maker. In other words, the lowest ranking person in the room vetoed the deal. No, we think there's a better solution. No, I don't believe in that technology. No, I'm not sure about this claim. Whatever it was, and the whole thing falls apart. So, yeah. so what does this mean for marketing and how does it relate to strategy? What it means is, is that, um, first of all, the challenge here is, is that a lot of times these decision makers are somewhat hidden. Um, sometimes that's by design. You know, sometimes, sure. you know, they don't want to be found or maybe the company doesn't really want them to be known. But I find usually that's not the case. It's usually that, you know, this is just someone that you want to think to go look for. You wouldn't even know where to find them, you know, in the organization. They might be a department of one, you know, a team of one, basically. And yet they could literally be the person that gives the thumbs up or the thumbs down on your seven-figure, your eight-figure deal that you're hoping to close. And so the strategy piece is that marketers, and especially someone in a leadership role, so like a CMO, VP of marketing, has to, first of all, understand these dynamics. They have to know who are the key decision, you know, stakeholders, if you will, in our typical buying process. 
what do they look like? And I don't mean physically, what do they look like? But, you know, what are their responsibilities? What's their function in the org? What do they care about? How do they think? And then obviously we produce marketing materials and we do our best to try and reach them. But more importantly, we have to look at our whole you know, process, the go-to-market. It's why I really prefer to think of myself as a go-to-market engineer or go-to-market architect, even more so than a marketing executive, because you have to be able to think holistically beyond just, oh, what are we saying on LinkedIn? You know, what's our trade show booth going to look like? Are we going to invest, you know, in this digital property or this other one? Are we going to start a podcast? Are we, you know, all those things are important, but that's, the strategic piece. Well, yeah, and especially today, as I see the lines increasingly becoming blurred because what you said, I mean, there's so many different ways. It's not just a conversation on a golf course or over a glass of wine after a nice dinner. Exactly. It, yeah. it, it, there, there's a multi-channel universe that's going on mm-hmm. that much of which we have no control over, you know, mm-hmm. as far as how people, I mean, we can influence it, but yeah. it's not ours yeah. to control, you know, until you get to the scope of being able to, to launch your own ecosystem with, mm-hmm. within an industry. But that's reserved for a few billion dollar companies. Um, you know, until you get to that point, you have very little control over what finds its way into people. That's and right. so there, so your whole organization, you know, so what that means right now is the sales, the, the, the sales function and the marketing function and the product development function are all merging. We talk about this a lot. I mean, yes. it, it, they're, they're all kind of coming together into what needs to be and often isn't, but it needs to be a very unified, very, uh, very integrated mm-hmm. function that from my vantage point, and this isn't just because I consider myself in on the marketing side, but it is a marketing, this is about the go to market. It is about That's the right. how you engage in ways that produce revenue. That's right. And so we have to look at that as a holistic perspective, understand and strategize in in that regard. So when you're when you're looking at the the nature of go to market, how do you how do you start? What's the, what are the things that you're pulling in, the data points you're pulling in to understand what needs to come out? Yeah. So, you know, it really is about knowing. And you you talked about, you know, understanding who the buyer is, you know, understanding that, which is the first thing, right? That's, that's the very first thing. And so, you know, so you have to start there, but then the next logical step is to say, but how are they, um, how how are they assimilating information? So what I mean by that is, um, you know, um, what are the conferences they go to? What are the online forums and the communities they're a part of? Um, what are the trade associations they may be a part of? The reason why this is important, so there's two parts to it. One is it can obviously inform where we invest, you know, i.e., do we go to this trade show or that trade show? Well, if I happen to know that, you know, that more of our buyers are in, are in one particular community, then I'm going to prioritize that. Right. So there's value there, but it, but it's, but it's different. It's even more than that. It's where our buyers are hanging out is where they're getting information. 
And so, you know, um, John Gartner, uh, I think it was 2018 when this first research came out and maybe they've, you know, maybe they've been I'm reporting sure this even yeah. before that. But they reported that 50%, more than 50% of the buyer's journey was completed in an average B2B buying process. Now, this is, you know, very generic across multiple industries. And, you know, so sure. but this is a B2B buying process. More than 50% was completed before they contacted the first vendor. In other words, buyers are increasingly self-educating. So, uh, if I'm going to think about, and they've updated that, I think recently in advance of 60%. And the number's gone up by the way. Yeah. 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 It's, it's very remarkable. So if you're going to think about go to market and you're thinking about, you know, where your marketing efforts intersect with your literal selling activities, your selling motions, and then how that intersects with the product you're building, et cetera. Um, you have to then understand, well, where is that buyer hanging out and who are they listening to? So, um, so that, you know, so the first is you have to know who the buyer is. Well, if you know who the buyer is then, and a lot of this is just talking, it's amazing how many marketers just, you know, um, I asked, interestingly enough, I was in a situation a couple of weeks ago and we were doing a, um, uh, a, a creative code review. So, uh, if anybody, you know, comes from an engineering background, you know, code review, right? And it's where, you know, the group gets in a room and somebody throws up some code and, you know, it's a constructive teardown, you know, it's a, Hey, you know, you could have done this better. What about that? How come you made that choice, et cetera. And it's all to improve, you know, the, 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 the quality of the engineering. So we were doing this in a marketing context and uh, I asked the group, there were seven marketers on the call and I said, um, you don't, you don't have to embarrass yourself, but I'm going to ask a question and I want you to think internally, how long has it been since you've been in front of a customer? Mm-hmm. Now, let me tell you, John, nobody raised their hand, but the facial expression said it all. Some of them, I'll bet you it's been multiple years. In fact, I know mm-hmm. it has <laughs> in this context. Um, and, and the point that I was trying to make was that, um, you know, people were giving their opinions in this particular meeting that I was a part of, I was leading uh, and saying, well, this is what, you know, this is what buyers want. This is what sales is saying. And I said, wait, 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 hang on, gang. <laughs> we have a lot of opinions here. Who's been in front of a customer and how long has it been? And it got real quiet. And mm-hmm. so, so that is absolutely critical. And then based on that knowledge, if I know where my buyer is, now I know how to communicate with them. Now when somebody says, oh, um, our buyers aren't on Facebook, and yet you know, we're selling into a particular market. I heard a great example of a, of a um, speaking of healthcare technology, um, uh, medical device company. And um, they had a medical device selling into hospitals, uh, ER rooms, I think specifically. And, um, and, and the engineers, the founders said, you know, the doctors, ER docs do not spend time on Facebook. The product manager went out into the field, spent a couple nights in ERs, and guess what they were all doing when no one was in the ER? Were they on Facebook? They were on Facebook. <laughs> they were scrolling. So he walked away and went, huh, 
what if we just publish this great clinical research that validates our technology, our solution? I don't want to ask for a demo. I just want to buy Facebook ads to just make that research available. So while that, while that ER doc is scrolling his or her feed, all of a sudden, you know, because of Facebook's amazing algorithm, uh, our clinical study pops up. Do you think they're going to click on it? Probably, yes. They're going to be shocked. Like, whoa, what's this? They're going to click on it. And there's this, and, and so that, you know, it was an excellent case study anyway. It's a, it's a, it's a real life case study that I, I heard about. And it's just one example of where there was a bias of perception that mm-hmm. was wrong. And it wasn't until this product manager went out into the field and went, wait a second, <laughs> they're all standing around scrolling Facebook and Instagram and, you know, other social platforms. Well, there's no one there. They have nothing to do. So they're just waiting for, you know. The next patient to come in. <laughs> and so that's a perfect forum. Yeah. And it's really interesting. It's a lot of why this podcast exists. You know, mm-hmm. most of our guests in the context of this podcast are people that are on the buying seats. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we've, we've talked to um, Andy Flatt, the uh, CIO at um, Healthcare Corporation of America. We've talked to uh, Hayden McWhorter, who's the CIO of Premise Health. We've talked to Nicole Tremblett, who's in, you know has a big part of the nurse, nursing and uh, and identity verification universe at HCA. We've mm. talked to gosh uh, um, Kelly Aldrich at Vanderbilt. You know people that are making in, in this decision making seat. That's right. And we we hear a very you know so part of our intent is to help people connect and, and, and start because of what you're saying is true, Mark. I mean, it's pretty rare. You know, I, we, I, in my experience, I watch healthcare technology organizations, hire marketing teams, um, many of whom have never been in front of a buyer. That's right. You know, uh, yeah. And, and they are working to connect the dots and are pretty far removed. And so part of what we're trying to do is help close some of those gaps. But it's so important. I mean, one of the things we underscore over and over again is the importance of understanding who you are communicating with. That's right. And, and the thing we hear over and over and over again is the critical nature, especially in today's climate where budgets are extraordinarily constrained mm-hmm. and, re- and human resources are, at, 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 are equally constrained, mm-hmm. um, you have to lead with your value. Yes. You, uh, yes. We're not interested in leading with the whiz-bang features, the, the, the core technology. Yeah. You know, that's not the primary. Yeah. The primary is what are you going to do for me? Yeah. You know, how is this going to make right. my job easier? How is this going to improve the lives of our, our clinicians? How is yeah. this going to ultimately improve the lives of our patients? Yeah. And, and, and cut to that and make sure you understand what my needs are. That's right. So that you can, so that you can clearly understand um, what needs to be communicated. And that just ends up being so important. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because when 
the buyer, you know, so you can think of it like the market or our audience, you know, if you want to almost think like as a publisher, which by the way, John, I, I really do believe that marketing today, especially in B2B is as much looks as much like a publishing game as it does anything else, you know? So we, we can, we can maybe unpack that a bit further, but you, you actually earn their respect when they feel like this company actually understands me. Sure. If they understand me, hmm, maybe I shouldn't be so quick to dismiss, you know, um, you know, that recent blog post or that, you know, recent white paper or that clinical study or, you know, whatever it is. And um, and yet too many marketers. Um, are, are struggling against, you know, what I call an efficacy problem. Um, and, and this is kind of a, I, I've started using this a lot recently because it just fits. Um, and because I really don't know too many marketing teams that are lazy. Um, I don't know too many marketing teams that are just sort of sitting around, you know, coasting, wait, waiting, you know, eight weeks until the next trade show. And so they're kind of just, you know, coasting until, you know, they've got to start preparing for that, for that conference, whatever. They're working hard. In fact, some of them are working at 110%, you know, capacity. The problem, problem is, is that I know a lot of marketing teams that are failing. So what did I just say? What I just said is, is that marketing teams are working hard. They're even doing good things. They're, they're, they're playing the game of marketing. And yet the CEO, the executive team, the founders, the investors are saying, I, we don't know what's happening because marketing isn't working. They're working hard, but there's not a business outcome. Mm -hmm. You know, and so much of this can be solved by simply, you know, knowing what your customer, what your audience cares about, what do they actually yep. care about and stop talking about all the other stuff that's either important to the company, but it's not important, you know, might be important to the company. Maybe for some reason, you know, they really are passionate about, you know, this particular aspect of a trend that's happening, you know, in the market. But if that's not where our buyers are, stop talking about it. <laughs> It's yeah. not helping your cause. And yeah, yet so I, I many marketing teams fall into that trench. Yeah. I find it's really it, it's really true. I think that we call it we we talk about it in terms of the importance of building the bridge. Mm, um you know, right. so many companies will stand on the shore that they're on, you know, on one side of the river and yell across to the market and say, Y'all need to come on over <laughs> here because we've got yeah. a real good thing going on. Yeah. And you know, first of all, they can barely hear you on the other side, if if at all. Yeah. Let alone be convinced to walk across because there ain't no bridge built. You know, we yeah. don't have we. There's no bridge, and so part of marketing's job is to create a beautiful bridge that entices people to come over. Mm -hmm. First, and and what you need to know to build a bridge, you can't. You don't just start a bridge on one side. You have to understand the anatomy of both sides of the bank. You know, on both banks, on both each side. You need to know what's going on on the other side. I love you need this to know analogy. I'm, I'm going to steal this one. <laughs> this is great. This well, is it, and it, it ends up being really important. Part of the engineering yeah. is understanding both sides. Yeah, we know what right. we know what we're offering. We know what mm. the other side looks like, mm. and we're going to work to bring those together. That's marketing's role. Now, part of that, you know, the the bridge is helping people know 
not what to think, <laughs> but how to think. We yeah. need to equip them in right. how to think about the nature of the problem. And, uh, you know, so I'll, I'll pull something out here because it's something that you and I've talked about. And, and I think it's a good example of helping people know how to think. Um, Mark, I, I'm a little ashamed to say that we have to consider ourselves now old enough to remember this moment because it <laughs> seems like yesterday to me, but I remember the original iPod launch. Yes. And, uh, you know, the, what are, so. <laughs> and I'm not ashamed just, to say I remember it. <laughs> just, just to make sure everybody excited. knows that uh, what an iPod was, because <laughs> I have to do that now too. Yeah, uh, iPod right. was uh, Apple's uh, uh, preliminary foray into the music universe. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and it was launched um, at one of the great, fanfare uh, events that Steve Jobs made ubiquitous in our, our world for product launches. Um, but what, what would be important for everybody to know is that the technology wasn't new. Now, the form factor and how they brought it forward was new and different and clearly differentiated. But the essential technology, I mean, the MP3 existed. MP3 players existed. Right. MP3s were music files back in the day, you know, just yeah, yeah. <laughs> all this stuff is needing <laughs> translation for people that That's are right. uh, younger than us in some forms. But um, those, that stuff existed. But what Steve Jobs did, I think really well, is helped us know how to think about the problem. Mm -hmm. And he did that with a little slogan that that became at that point ubiquitous and where he said a thousand songs in your pocket. That's right. Um, and that, that just sort of changed the perspective. It helped people think about the problem. I mean, you know, one of the other phrases he made ubiquitous was think different. Um, it made people think differently about, uh, about this technology. What do you, what do you recall about that? What's your, what's your frame? Uh, on how that was set up. Yeah, I've, I use this example a lot because um, what's fascinating is, is that Apple, you know, just like they did with the phone, right? Um, the category existed. You know, um, there were music players. In fact, you could go into uh, Best Buy, go into, you know, some in the U.S. might remember Fry's Electronics. They <laughs> eventually shut down, I think, only just a couple of years ago. But anyway, these were, you know, I, I love going in Fry's. I mean, they had everything, you know, every MP3 player on the market practically would be on the shelf. Uh, it was just remarkable. And you'd go in there and you'd just look at brand after brand, some very well-known brands, some, you know, uh, no-name brands, as we sometimes say in electronics. And they'd all say like, you know, um, 64 megabytes, um, you know, 128, you know, 256. That was huge, you know, considered like big. <laughs> and there would be other, you know, features listed on there. Um, and then Apple comes out. And Steve Jobs holds up this, first of all, it, you know, it's a beautiful looking device, right? And there's like, not, there's one button and there's a, you know, it's just like, what is, you know, what is this thing? How do you use it? You know, that was even my first reaction, but holds it up and he says, a thousand songs in your pocket. 
Now, what I like to break down for people when I, you know, when I'm walking through this example is I say, what did Steve Jobs communicate in this very simple statement? Okay, so let's just break it down almost word by word. A thousand songs. Okay, song, that's music. I know it's a music player, but he didn't say music player. A thousand songs. Whoa. And back then we all had CDs and the average CD, I think actually had more than 10 songs, but that was kind of like, you know, from the old days of records, you know? So, you know, so you do some quick math and go, Ooh, that's like a hundred CDs. How many CDs do I own? Oh, I think I have about 80. Wow. I could fit my entire whole library library on here. (laughs) Whoa. And then, and, and again, I'm dating myself as well, John here. Um, You probably also had the zippered bag with the CDs in your car. And, you know, if you had a couple cars, you'd have to move it between cars when you go on a road trip or whatever. (laughs) You know, now I leave the house, I'm looking, where's my phone? You know, back in those days, it's like, wait, where's my favorite new CD? I got to listen to that. (laughs) So you're searching the house. Looking for that CD. Anyway, um, those are nostalgic days. Um, but a thousand songs, so it's music, a thousand, the size of the library. I can relate to that. What the heck does 256 megabytes? How do right. I correlate that? I can't. Even even the geeks who knew how to do the math and bit rate, you know, like even they, you know, have to kind of do some quick math and, oh, see, oh, it turns out it's roughly about this many songs, you know, whatever that number would work out to be. Um, so it was very, very simple to understand. And then in your pocket, it's portable. And it was those just very, very simple words, that very simple statement that took a category that existed and made Apple the queen. And built a bridge. Built the bridge and made Apple the absolute. So then fast forward, um, 10 years later, it was like 2011, and Apple revenues from the iPod accounted for something like 77 or 78%. I'm off by one or two percentage points, but the number is so astounding, it doesn't matter. Of all revenue, produced by every single company selling a music player in the market, Apple with the iPod and all the various versions they were selling captured something like 77, 78% of it. Yeah, now, if that lo- isn't they- being, <laughs> being the, you know, the dominant, overwhelming player in a market, I don't know what is. You know? Yeah, it, it's an, a great yeah. example of helping people know how to think That's right. about the problem, right? That's right. I, I, you know, how, not... not not focusing on the technology, yeah. focusing on the benefit that that's right. it brings. You know, we, we can put a thousand songs in your pocket. Well, that's yeah. what's that worth to you? Yeah. That, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm tired of toting that portfolio around and yeah. trying to find the CD while I'm at a traffic light. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, now it's texting and driving. Then it was, you know, t- t- you know, switching CDs and, and driving. driving. <laughs> you know, that's that right. was dangerous. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, there was a, you and I've talked about an, uh, uh, I guess maybe we'll call it a tragic launch that we've seen happen here mm. recently that yeah. might, uh, this might is an amazing serve to one. Under- underscore this this uh this issue also so um what can you tell us about uh humane ai and what um what 
you know about that backdrop? Yeah. So um, humane AI, I think um, most people. And, and just just to qualify it, we know that this isn't healthcare technology right now. We're, yeah. we're using some object lessons and some allegories, right. but but I think right. that it, this is going to serve a good point. Yeah. So, don't, sorry to exactly. There. Don't 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 tune out. <laughs> don't tune out. <laughs> so humane AI would be in the category of what is typically called a wearable. Uh, and, and, and a wearable is just, you know, any, um, uh, smart, um, electronics product that, you know, you would wear on your wrist and you know, it may monitor, you know, health functions. It could, you know, assist in, um, you know, workouts. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of wearables. There, there's, there's a lot, um, that are out there. Frankly, um, you know, the Apple watch is really a wearable if you, if you really sure. think about it, it it's is a wearable. wearable. So, yeah. So, so this is humane, humane AI. Um, the company, by and the way. And I would say the Apple Watch is the category leading. Is a category wearable. leader. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So, so, so real quick about the company. So this is a serious company. They've raised, you know, I think somewhere in the order of 241 million, at least, at least publicly disclosed, you know, sometimes companies have raised more. Um, but the fact is. From some notable people too. Yeah. Not yeah. Open AI. AI, Microsoft, I mean, you know, and, and, and it's a smart team. And, and we're saying all that because what we're about to give you a glimpse of, if you didn't know all that going in, you know, you might think, well, well you know, I guess maybe they just, you know, <laughs> better luck next time, you know, maybe they better try again. No, these are, these are smart people. They're backed by, you know, so, so with that backdrop, I don't know, do you want to show maybe, do we want to show like just the first minute or the first, Yeah, let's you know, see what happens in the first minute. Now, uh, this keep is their launch video. This is and, their, this is the, the video that they're leading their go to market strategy with. That's right. So we'll, uh, we'll take a look at this here. Those, those of you not watching on video, just listen. This is the Humane AI pin. It's a standalone device and software platform built from the ground up for AI. It comes in three colorways, got Eclipse, Lunar, and Equinox. There's two pieces, a computer and a battery booster. Now the battery booster powers a smaller battery inside the main computer. And this is how we achieve our all day battery life. So if you ever exhaust the booster, you just reach into your pocket or bag and hot swap it. This is a perpetual power system that allows you to use your AI pin for as long as you want. There are no wake words, so it's not always listening or always recording. In fact, it doesn't do anything until you engage with it. And your engagement comes through your touch, voice, gesture, or the laser ink display. It also comes with its own connectivity built right in, our own humane network connected by T-Mobile. We were able to pack a lot of technology into something really small. All right, so <laughs> let's just mark time. We're a minute and 13 into the video. Um, and let me ask you, John, what is an AI pin? I don't know yet. <laughs> and, 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 and the whole point in this exercise, you know, really. Well, it, I know it's got a battery. It has a battery. It lasts me it, all day. 
It, uh, <laughs> no, it, they, I don't believe they said it would last you all day. It's that if you, if you exhaust the battery, you can easily replace it with another you one you carry in your, in your bag or your purse or, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we do know that T-Mobile is the, um, uh, virtual, uh, wireless network operator who's powering it. Oh, okay. I'm a T-Mobile okay. user. I, I guess I, I. I, I guess that's I'm good. Not, but. I, I don't know what that does for me, but you know, <laughs> do I get it for free on my T-Mobile plan? I don't know. Here's the, here's the, you know, um, and we could continue on. It's about a 10 minute video. Um, the first 60 seconds are about form factor. Yeah. And, yeah. And, form factor. And, and the gizzy widget. We have absolutely not only, and, and here's the massive failure. Not only do we not know what this thing is, who cares what it is? What can it do for me? <laughs> yeah. Where's the thousand songs in your pocket? So can you imagine if the video had started, you know, with the, with the founders taking this little, this little thing, which I've not seen one in the flesh. So, but you know, on video and all it looks like it's the industrial design's been thought out. You know, I, I don't want to say if it's good or bad. I'm just saying, you know, it's, it's certainly not, I think an ugly object. But if they held it up and they said in seven, eight, 10, 12 words, you know, introducing the AI pen, the AI pen, and then there's seven or eight words. And I go, oh, wow. Here's how it will change your A life. A thousand, exactly. <laughs> not what it can do. Not, you know, the AI pen's connected to open, you know, powered by open AI and does, even that would be like, oh, okay. Okay, but why do I need to be wearing something that's, you know, connected to open AI? Like that's still, but what if it said the AI pen seamlessly blends, you know, the intelligence of, you know, fill in the blank and, and it went on to tell a story. All of a sudden now you have my attention. Now, Five minutes into the video, maybe then I'm like, well, what color options are there? And, you know, is this thing going to run out of power every 60 minutes? And I have, to, you know, all of a sudden then some of this early form factor, um, uh, you know, things that they talk about uh, become relevant. But at this stage, like, <laughs> it's not relevant. Yep. Yeah. And, that, and <clears throat> why are we talking about this? Well, the yeah. point is that happens a whole lot a whole in technology. Lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the challenge for organizations that are typically technology founder led or the like is that that's where we start the conversation. It starts in the form factor. It starts in the features. It starts in the, the cool things that we can do that are not necessarily the clear statement of the core value that it results in. Mm. Um, and so that true. is, that is the, um, that, that's the, that's the thing, you know, and, and the, and the important thing to keep in mind. Um, so I, I would say, ask yourself how well constructed is the bridge that you've made to your organization? You know, are you starting with how many gigabytes your MP3 player is? Mm -hmm. Or are you helping them understand, are you really serving as the translation layer that helps them understand that our, our platform is going to let you carry a thousand songs in your pocket? Mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's a big difference. Big difference, yeah. So 
So looking at the humane world, um, I mean, we talked, we just talked a little bit about it. What, what ought to be different in that equation? I mean, we, we talked about how, um, how they, you know, what they should have led with, what, what needs to, well, what they need to be considering is leading it's, it's leading with value. Right. And that's, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, in the um, 35, 40 minutes or so we've been talking, you know, that's just the central theme that that keeps coming up. You, you know, have said, John, that your previous guests who are buyers of healthcare uh, technology, y- you know, have lamented um, and and probably even lamented in a very sincere way of saying, because someone hasn't led with value, it's possible they're missing out on adopting, you know, technology product solutions that actually would improve, you know, their ability to provide patient care or, you know, whatever that would do. But um, the buyer never had the chance because it wasn't understandable, you know? Yep. And, and, and that's what to me is really um you know, the fundamental issue, you know, that we have to solve as marketers. And, you know, if you're running a company, if you're the founder of a company, you're the CEO, certainly if you're running marketing, if you're running go to market is to, is to figure out how can you be more specific, more direct, and just more clear with value. You know, what is that thousand songs in your pocket? It is such a powerful statement. I hope that burns into everybody's, you know, psyche um, is, you know, when you're designing your next campaign or you're thinking about, um, you know, how you're positioning a new product or you're, or you're writing a PowerPoint presentation for a sales pitch coming up, you know, what is the thousand songs in your pocket that you're going to start with? And you're going to close with, and sure, in the middle, there's probably a need to, you know, go more deeper or provide context or give more information. Maybe you do need to get into those, you know, more of the features and the benefits and, and all. Maybe you do. It's not to say we never talk about that, but we lead with a thousand songs in your pocket. Then you tell them how it's done and then you wrap with, and this is why, you know, the iPod is so amazing, a thousand songs in your pocket. And the buyer says, wow, I can get that. And so it's leading with value is, is yeah, really what we need to be focused on. And my encouragement there, that's a great word, Mark. And my, my encouragement there <clears throat> is to be brutally honest mm-hmm. and do your best to get as objective as you can in that assessment and ask mm-hmm. some outsiders what they think about how that's ha- how you're doing. That's right. You know, even even during this conversation right here, as much as I sit and think about this, we're in the process of working with the client right now uh, on on some top line messaging, and I'm kind of running this little internal audit in my brain as we're mm. talking. I'm going, okay, we could do better. We yeah. we could do better at at cutting cutting through it. And getting to it, because mm-hmm. um, that's just such a uh, such a critical component. Yeah. Um, so, Mark, backing up a little bit. So, a couple a couple things here. You know, first first thing that I heard and understood is just you know we're we're talking about the critical nature of proximity to our buyer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if you're a marketing person and you haven't spent 
real time in three dimensions across the table from a real buyer or two or 10 or 15 um, to, to really be able to understand the nature of the bridge you need to build, you need to do it. Right. You need to figure out what it's going to take to make that happen because without that, you're just not going to get the kind, and, and I'm not, <laughs> you know, I hate to say it, but it's harder to do over Zoom. It's it's really hard to do over email. Yeah. It's really hard to do over Zoom because we're still missing a lot of the 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 stuff that gets communicated in three dimensions when mm -hmm. people are face to face. Mm -hmm. um, I'm. It's real. I mean, there, there's just real things that get communicated differently in that situation. So, what does it mean for you to get face to face in their in their environment? to really gain the level of understanding that will get you to the point where you're going to be able to make a difference in how you present what you present and how you're able to craft a bridge mm -hmm. that is beautifully suited for its purposes. Mm -hmm. um, so get proximate. Understand how you need to help people think about the problem that they're facing, you know, and how you articulate that. Um, because it's really important to say, what does it mean to declare the value, not what does it mean to declare what we do? Mm -hmm. Very different, very different perspective. Understanding the customer, understanding what they value, understanding how you need to articulate it. Super important backdrop, especially as we look to starting the new year and all the great initiatives that are getting ready to be unleashed in the world starting That's Q1. Right. That's um, right. Getting getting that stuff well uh, well oriented is important. Mm -hmm. um, Mark, I know that that you spend a lot of time thinking differently, trying to help uh, frame go to market efforts. What are some ways that you see yourself as a code breaker? Um, you know how how are you hacking what, uh, the system? What are you look? You know what are some ways that you see things? that that help you gain traction in the in the conversations that you're having in the ways yeah. that you're engaging yeah um i i i think i find that the thing that i do regardless of stage of company that i'm you know that i'm working with or uh you know stage meaning if they're kind of earlier they're just developing the market or if it's growth or if you know if they've been out there for a while um size of the company you know startup just i don't really work pre-revenue but you know just getting started or you know doing 200 million dollars um you know there's some universal um things that i you know that i do i i sort of like that code you know code breaker <laughs> kind of kind of reference um, one is, is really just asking these really hard questions, you know, like looking at, um, you know, messaging, uh, on the website, for example, and saying, what does it mean? You know, and getting back a, a, a whole stream of, you know, catchy phrases and some things that are like, okay, that's good. But what does it mean? Like, you know, your buy, do, do they get it? Oh, oh, uh. Of course they get it. Really? What do they get? You know, and then you reflect back and all of a sudden there's the silent pause in the room, right? You know, where it gets quiet real quick and everybody goes, oh, yeah, 
We've never looked at it with that much detail. And so, you know, I um, am always aware that uh, there's this perception, you know, like, like the consultant flew in, you know, 2000 miles away. So suddenly they're an expert, right? (laughs) And most of the time I'm sitting in the room and I'm thinking, I am sure that I'm not the only one who's either come in and given the same input, or there's even people sitting around this table who have either thought it or expressed it, but nobody took the time to really like push and push and push and say, no, what does it mean? What are we really saying? Are Mm -hmm. you sure our buyer really gets that? Oh yeah, yeah. ER docs. Oh, oh, an (laughs) ER doc. They're not on Facebook. They barely know. They hate email. And then you go into an emergency room and they're all standing there with phone in their hands when there's no patients in the ER and they're scrolling their feed, right? And you go, huh, I wonder what else we believe <laughs> that isn't correct, you know? So I think some of it, some of the unlock, a lot of the unlock that I bring when I come into a company is just being maybe a little relentless, you know, and pushing and sometimes making people uncomfortable, sometimes myself uncomfortable, you know, because you don't always get positive reactions, you know, when you're when you're pushing against the status, you know, status quo. Um, but I, that would be my encouragement, you know, is for the listeners who are who have listened, hung in there. Thank you for hanging in there through this whole interview. <laughs> but if you're if you're you know, if you're listening and you're saying, Hmm. I wonder if we're falling into the same trap, you know, go into your next meeting and the next time somebody makes a statement, you know, well, no, our buyers, you know, this, this is what they care about and have the courage to ask the question, really? How, how do we know that? Well, because how do we really know that? Did we did we double check that? Like, has anybody got, who, who here has even been in the field recently? <laughs> you know, and they have no hands go up. Well, that's a place to start. Yep. So. That's, that's, that's great. So let me, uh, um, what are some of the, the channels that you're tuning into that is help and in, helping inform your perspective? What are, what are mm. some of the things that you take in on a regular basis? Yeah. So, um, I, I, I'm, I'm not gonna so much give you like a list of, you know, here, here's all my favorite podcasts. Um, but I will give you what I believe is an important way to think about the information that you consume. Um, uh, and some of this is just, you know, prioritizing, um, uh, you know, time, right? So we all have limited time, but, I found that um, one of my hacks, and somebody asked me this question not long ago, so that's why I'm I'm, I'm right on top of this 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 question because they were asking, you know, what books do you read? You know, what kinds of books do you read? And um and and I realized that I would love to read you know fiction, and I would love to you know there's all kinds of genres and things I would love to read. I mean, I'd be very interested in, but I don't have time for that. Furthermore, there's a lot of business books I'd love to read. You know, I would love to, you know, dig deeper in economics and really understand economic theory and feel like I'm more conversant as to, you know, just why things are going on in the world of of finance and, you know, whatever. I would love that. I don't have time for that. So I am very intentional in my focus. And my focus is always on 
what filling the gaps where I feel I have a lack of knowledge or where I need to better, um, you know, equip myself for a specific task that's in front of me. So, um, you know, it shifts uh, the resources. And I really encourage as well, you know, rather than kind of having you know, um, a, a, you know, a favorite subject and always reading on that subject or, you know, maybe even to a certain extent, you know, favorite podcast, whatever, like be very intentional about. And if you're in a demand generation phase where like the whole focus of your marketing effort is on, you know, not just producing MQLs, you know, form fills, but real meaningful demand for your product. Well, you know, go out there and study, you know, the book Play Bigger, you know, go through that book, go through that book twice. You know, maybe you should go back and revisit Jeffrey Moore and Crossing the Chasm, you know, maybe. And there's again, there's there's a lot of but go and go to those books. Don't worry about the latest, you know book by some hot author that's got 10 million followers on Facebook. You know, don't worry about that. I'm not saying that's not useful. Maybe it is. Maybe that's where you should be. But that's that's how I equip myself. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe that's just, you know, time, time limitation. <laughs> maybe one day I'll have time no, to do the, <laughs> you know, do the other things. But right now I don't. So Play Bigger is certainly on my list of books I wish I would have written. Um, <laughs> it's, it's just amazing. And by the way, I'll make a comment about play bigger. Um, it is a book, um, that it's about category design. Uh, but I, I think, um, it gets pigeonholed as, uh, even too much as like, Oh, that's the category design book. Now category design is hot. Everybody wants to know about it. So it's not that anybody, you know, is necessarily going to say, Oh, I don't need to read that. It's about category design. But I would just encourage if, if you've heard as well, like, well, it's about category design and category design's great, but you have to have millions of dollars and, and all those things are, sort of true, not completely true in terms of the investment required. But the point is, it is a book that will challenge your thinking. It will absolutely reshape the way you look at the role of marketing. Um, It's just, it's, it's brilliant. So I strongly, strongly, and it doesn't matter if you're a CEO, um, doesn't matter if you're a sales leader, if you're a product leader, you should read it. Shoot, if you're an R and D engineering leader, you should read it. I mean, I've almost got to the to the point where I I don't want to work with an organization unless the CEOs read the book. Yeah, yeah, I think (laughs) I'm almost there. I haven't quite got there yet, but I probably should be because it does condition a way of thinking. You know, it's not a book about category creation. It's a book about how to win a market. Yep, yeah. Oh, that's that's so true. Yeah, and and you know, there's whether yeah. Some companies are category does have to design a category because they don't fit in one. Yeah, that exists already, and it would serve them to help defi- to help people know how to think about the problem. That's right. That that's an important moment to realize because it does take a different energy and a different emphasis. But yeah. some of this is about having the courage to win a market. That's right. And and what it what is going to take yeah. to get it out there and to help yeah. your dreams get realized Um, because it's a, it's a big market out there. And if you're wanting to capture a seg, a a chunk of it, you've got to, you've got to get serious 
about making it happen? Well, changing the world is, I think, in uh, almost everyone's, uh, <laughs> you <List>. know, uh, <laughs> you say, what's your mission? And, you know, somewhere it's changed the world. And and yet it's astounding. Seriously? You know, to, to me. <laughs> well, it's... Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm agreeing with you, but I'm saying, are you serious about that? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, and that's where I'm going. That's where I'm going with this, you know, is that it's astounding to me how everybody's so quick, you know, um, and, and okay, maybe some of it's sort of altruism and, you know, it's, but, you know, but, but I think the majority of people, it's completely legitimate face value. That really is like, that's a, that's a, a legit desire. They want to change the world. Uh, and they have a vision for doing that. Well, you can't change the world if you're not successful, you know? Yep. And and yet it's astounding to me how many people on one hand will talk to you for hours about their vision and their excitement, their enthusiasm, how their company, their technology, their product's going to change the world. And then you ask them fundamental things about the way that they're, you know, going to market, designing the market, you know, thinking about the product and, and, it's so out of sync with what the market needs. And you're just like, you really understand you want to change the world. And yet what it's going to take to do that, you're almost like shortcutting or just, you know, sort of leaving to fate, you know? And And we come back to value. Here we are. That's right. That's (laughs) right. It's a great, great way to wrap the uh, episode, I think. So yeah. So let's truly go change the world. You know, I know that I'm, you know, very passionate, you know, about helping companies do that. So. Well, Mark Donegan, thank you for that. That's It certainly comes through. Make sure to check out growthstage.marketing. That's where you can find Mark. Uh, grateful for you jumping in with us today and for the opportunity to, uh, to have the conversation. There's a lot that we'll be, uh, I'm sure, tagging as a result of this conversation. Um, We'll, uh, we'll make sure there's some links in the notes to all the, the videos and things that we're referencing so that you can take that uh, together. Make sure you uh, check us out at goratio.com. Lots going on in our uh, on the podcast, lots of great uh, episodes recorded there that really are going to give you some good perspective on who are the people in the market, what are the real problems that they're facing, And how are they looking to solve that and what means value to them? Thank you all for joining us, Mark. Thanks again. Healthcare Market Matrix is a Ratio Original podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then jump over to healthcaremarketmatrix.com and subscribe. And we'd really appreciate your support in the form of a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. It does make a difference. Also, while you're there, you can become a part of the Healthcare Market Matrix community and get access to courses and content that's created just for you by signing up for Insights Squared, a monthly newsletter dedicated to bringing you the latest health tech marketing insights right to your inbox. Ratio is an award-winning marketing agency headquartered in the Nashville, Tennessee. We operate at the intersection of brand and growth marketing to equip companies with strategies to create meaningful connections with the healthcare market and ultimately drive growth. Want to know more? Go to goratio.com. That's G-O-R-A-T-I-O.com. And we'll see you at noon central next week for an all new episode from our team at Ratio Studios. Stay healthy.